privilege to have Dieter preach for us this morning. I'm going to pray for him as he uh, comes and brings God's word to us. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for Dieter and for Marty and their family. Uh, we thank you for um, the opportunity that they have in Scottsboro. Uh, we continue to pray for them as they prepare and uh, get to know folks and uh, get connected in the community there. And uh, now we pray, Lord, for Dieter as he brings your word this morning, that you would strengthen him by your grace as he proclaims your grace to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dieter. Thank you, brother. It's good to be with you guys this morning. It's good to be back in the pulpit. Let us turn together to Luke's Gospel, chapter 18, verses 18 through 30. This is the parable of the rich young ruler. Let us heed to God's word, listen to it, knowing that this is his inspired, inerrant, infallible word preserved for us. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers, or parents, or children, for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time, and in the age to come, eternal life. Let us pray. Father, help us now as we look to your word. We pray that you would remove distractions. Whether it was something that came before the service, maybe something troubling this week, maybe something that has been going on for some time that is a weighty trial, a weighty difficulty. Lord, even what is yet to come this week, maybe we're anticipating something this week or a medical test result or something. Lord, we would just ask now that you would help us to focus here and now upon your word. For Lord, your word is truth. We ask that you would sanctify us by it. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And God's people said, Amen. This sermon I've entitled Living in Grace. It was part of a series that I did at Trinity Presbyterian, my last series there. But this sermon truly was something that spoke to my heart. Because today, isn't it true that grace can be interpreted very widely? Grace is interpreted widely. It can be, on one end, something that leads to license. You know, because God has done what He's done for us through Jesus Christ upon the cross... We can just sit back and relax 
and wait till he comes to get us. It can lead to a whole host of things. Well, because I'm forgiven, I can do whatever I want to do. On the other end, it can lead to legalism. There's this idea that, well, grace needs my efforts. Grace needs me to do all these things in order for it to be effective. So I agree with Tim Keller as he says, the two thieves of the gospel of grace are license on one hand and legalism on the other. How do we have a right understanding of grace? How do we truly live in grace the way God has intended for us? Well, I think we can sit under Jesus in his own teaching, his own interactions with sinners. And today, looking at his interaction with the rich young ruler, we learn that it is something so unique. And I want us to see three things, three, three truths from the text today, how we are to live in grace. We're to live in grace first by seeing that we misunderstand it. Secondly, we, to live in grace, we must see that we need grace. We need it. We need it not just for salvation, but we need it all throughout our Christian lives. We need it every day, every moment of every day. Thirdly, to live in grace, we must see that grace has been given. Grace has been given. So, let us begin to look at how to live in grace. First, we must see that we misunderstand grace. We have in our text a rich young ruler coming to Jesus. This young man was wealthy, and he was a ruler, which means that he likely was a religious ruler of the day. He was part of the ruling Sanhedrin that made the decisions for the nation of Israel. He was a Pharisee, as he mentions, keeping all these commands. Pharisees were sticklers for the law. They were legalists in the technical sense, but they also were known to be legalists in how they lived because it was all about what they did. And so here is this man, and he approaches Jesus with this uh, comment. He says, Jesus, a good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is an honest question. What must I do to obtain eternal life? It's an honest question, but his greeting was based on the fact that Jesus was known to be a really good teacher in the community. And he was a good teacher, too, because of the good things he had been doing among the people. You see, the Jewish understanding was you were good if you did good. Once again, you're good if you do good. And so Jesus, knowing that this man was looking at him and judging him according to human standards, he did not respond to the man's question about eternal life yet. He responds by saying, why do you call me good? Why? No one is good except God alone. You see, this man needed to have exposed a wrong view of goodness, a wrong view of grace, and we'll get to that in a moment. But see, Jesus took the opportunity in saying, why do you call me good? Jesus was not declaring to this man that he was evil, that he was bad. He wasn't saying something about himself. Jesus was actually wanting to confront this man's view of goodness first before he went further to talk about eternal life. You see, we do this, don't we? We judge people by the the good that they do. Oh, they're a good person. Or we judge them by the bad that they do. A child is good if they do good. 
A child is bad if they do bad. In my counseling program, we were taught, don't do that. It's, it's, that's not healthy or helpful. But that's the Jewish understanding, and that's our default understanding as human beings. If somebody does a good thing, then they are good people. And so how does that relate to the misunderstanding of grace? Well, we think that we are good because of our actions and that there's somehow this grace, this grace in us that enables us to, to be good and do good. That somehow this grace is infused, somehow inherent in our humanity. The, hum, the secular humanists want us to believe that. Man is basically what? Good. And uh, if they've ever had children, they know that's not necessarily the case. The default is not goodness. The default is selfishness and evil. So we tend to think that this grace is somehow infused. We are the image of bearers of God. We are made in his image, mind, will, and emotions reflecting who God is in his character. But the grace we share is not what's in us. There's a grace that works upon us. And that even those who are evil doing good things for their children, it is common grace. It's the work of God upon all mankind. So this is what I want you to grasp this morning, that grace is a work of God from from start to finish. Grace is a work of God from start to finish. And we misunderstand it. I I heard a story about these two kids at the dinner table, two siblings sitting there arguing over who's going to get the last pancake. And the mom said, listen, I'm tired of you guys fighting about this. You need to work this out right now. And the older kid says, well, Samuel... You be Jesus. You be Jesus. You see, it's not our it's not our MO to want to do good. It's not our MO to do the gracious thing and say, you know what? I don't deserve this pancake. You take it. We don't understand grace. Well, thanks be to God, Jesus helps us to understand grace, and he continues to help us to see how we live in grace as he shows us now in this passage, how we need grace. Jesus saying no one is good except God alone. He's turning this man's whole religious worldview upside down. Once again, man is basically good if he's doing good things or the right things. He's saying no one is good except God alone. What is Jesus doing? Jesus is setting up that God alone is good. You're not good, rich young ruler. No one is good but God. God is good. What else is he saying implicitly here? That all people are not just not good. All people are evil, are sinful. And we're over here. There's a distinction that Jesus is, is, is making here. He's setting this up to show that God is over here. He alone is good. You, as a human being, are not good. And who is the bridge between the two? the Son of Man coming in the flesh to help him understand what's going on here. See, Jesus wants to help this rich young ruler reconsider God's character. God alone is good. You see, the religious of that day and even the religious of our day, we cheapen the goodness of God. We cheapen the character of God. We rob God of the glory of his character when we were like, well, I'm I'm a good person. I'm good. Well, then how can God make demands of us if we're good and he's good and we're all good? 
I mean, where does that leave us? But Jesus is saying, he's showing, God is alone is good. We are evil. We, there is a problem in mankind. And so because grace is not infused, there is something else here. We're all guilty of making God all too like ourselves or ourselves all too like God. And even to where we become the judge of others. But isn't it true that when men and women, boys and girls, are grace-starved, that we need grace, or even ignorant of God's grace, we're truly evil, we're corrupt in thought, will, and emotions, then we absolutely positively need a gracious God. We need a gracious God to show us the way. Because even in our sin nature, we are duped, we're deceived, we're blinded to our own blindness. We talked about that last time in Sunday school. In Shep's class, we are blind to our own blindness. Jesus came to lift the veil. Jesus came to lift the veil and say, this is how bad things really are. But there's good news. And man, I am jumping ahead of myself. But Jesus goes on here and and uses the the commandments in, in, in helps of this man because he's all about the commandments. Jesus said, you know the commandments. And then he lists five commandments. And, and Jesus is doing this because he's trying to work down a path for this man. This man truly didn't understand the commands. He thought that it was just outward conformity to these laws. He, he must not have been around when Jesus was doing the Sermon on the Mount, talking about the heart. That's what really matters before God, is where your heart is. But the reality of it is, he's setting this man up in regards to the commands of God. And what does this man say? All these things I have kept from my youth. Wow. He might have really tried to keep them outwardly, but he's failed to keep them inwardly. Isn't it true if we have broken one of the commands of God, even within our hearts, that we're guilty of breaking all the commands? This is the case. The commands of God, what were they given for? Not so that we could find ourselves righteous before God as we obeyed these commands. These commands of God were given to point to our very need of God's grace. Because we can't find righteousness in and of ourselves. It is not in who we are. God gave us His law. He gave evil people His law to show, I am your provider. I am your God. I have delivered you. You will not deliver yourself. I am your redeemer. And that's why he sent Jesus Christ in the flesh to do this, to fulfill the law and accomplish what we could never accomplish in our obedience. Why is he doing this? He's doing all this to show us our need for grace. This is at the heart of what the Lord told Moses in Exodus thirty-three nineteen: I will be gracious on, on whom... I will be gracious. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. Only God is gracious and good. We need grace for we are evil. And so this man saying, all these commands I've kept from my youth, if we realize that everything that we do is stained with sin, then even my best obedience, even my best obedience is dirtied by sin that is within me. This is what the Lord is working toward with this rich young ruler. 
Isn't it true that we, if we're admitting having broken one of God's commands, we could say, all of these commands I have broken from my youth. I'm a lawbreaker. We stand condemned before God. Our mouths are silenced from any justifying ourselves. None of us could stand before him in our justification of ourselves. But it's when we see our condition as truly hopeless and helpless before a holy God in our sin, then we can see our need for grace. Jesus didn't repeat here that God looks at the heart and not behavior. He could have condemned this rich young ruler and said, you're a liar. You haven't kept these commands. In fact, you can't justify yourself because you are wicked. You are evil. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus said to him simply, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and give away everything to the poor. And then you'll have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. What is Jesus doing here? He is the Holy Son of God, full of grace and truth. Knew this young man's heart. What is the command that he left out from the second table? He left out, you shall not covet. You see, this man was covetous. In other words, he was an idolater. He wanted what others had, and what he had was his possession and his treasure. Jesus knew this man's heart and called him graciously to repentance. That's what selling all he had and giving to the poor really was. It was a call to repentance, to turn away from that idol, to turn away from that one thing that he held so dear. He called him to repentance and to faith in him as his master. Jesus was sharing a message of grace to this ruler. You haven't kept all the commands of your, uh, all your life. You are a lawbreaker, but in faith, move toward me and repent. Turn away from that which is your idol, that which is your God, and move toward me and follow me. You will then have eternal life. To follow Jesus requires the, the grace of faith. See, that's what we read in our scripture uh, reading in the bulletin, Ephesians 2. Grace brings about faith. Grace working in our lives brings about faith. And that grace also brings about the ability to turn away from these idols. Eternal life is only given by God's grace. Through his work, not our own. And what do we see here? We see that the rich young ruler became sad and and he was, and it says, because he was extremely rich. He was not sad because he had forsaken the Lord and loved something else. He was sad because he was rich. And he wanted all this, all, all, his cake and eat it too. He wanted all this and Jesus too. He wanted all of it. But not Jesus first. Isn't it true that We can be sad like that rich young ruler. We can have something taken away from us or not have something that we think we deserve and we grow sad for it, not because it has anything to do with God. God's calling us. What is it that you're cherishing? What is it that you can put in that blank? Life wouldn't be worth living without blank. Or I must have this to be happy. If you can put something in there, other than Jesus Christ, other than Him, you too need His grace. You too need His grace, even now, to turn away 
from that and to follow Christ. I want to share a story Donald Gray Barnhouse shared about a friend of his who was witnessing to a waiter, a waitress in his restaurant uh, on a trip, <clears throat> and the young lady just proceeded to share about all the good things she'd ever done, how good a person she really was. She was really trying to stack the scales, if you will, on her, in her favor. And <clears throat> the, <clears throat> the gentleman said, well, um, I'd like to order something now. And, and she said, well, what, do you, what would you like to order? And he said, I want you to get me a pancake that's fully cooked on one side and doughy and runny on the other. And she was like, that's, that sounds awful. I don't want to get you that. That's, why would you want that? And he said, just, just, just go ahead and get it for me. So she brings out this half-baked pancake, and he proceeds to tell her, you know, this pancake, on this one side, it looks good. It, it, it's, it seems perfectly fine. And that's you and your good works and all the good that you've ever done and your thoughts of yourself. But as he flipped the pancake over, he said, this is what you really are before God. You're a mess. Not palatable. Not acceptable to him in this state. And the, and the woman was convicted right then and there of her own sin. She was convicted that she was hiding behind this uh, goodness that she thought she had. And she came to the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, who, if you're in here today under the sound of my voice and you think yourself good, good person, and that's how you justify yourself, I'm here to tell you Jesus came to say no. It's not the picture that you think it is. What you think is the well-baked pancake side, it's really the runny, messy side. Jesus came to expose that for us. That's the gospel of grace to show us our need for him, our sin. So where are you today? Are you the half-baked pancake? I want to call you to repentance and to believe in Christ. I want to call you to not justify yourself any longer because it's, a, it's an act of futility before the Holy God. Thirdly, to live in grace, we must see that grace has been given. As we just saw, Jesus came to address our sin and show us our need for grace in the darkest and deepest parts of ourselves. He came for us to see that there's a way out of slavery, this slavery to sin, slavery to this evil within us. But it's only through following Him. And so the good news this morning is that grace has been given. Grace has been given in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus saw how this rich man was going away sad, and he responded out loud to everybody who could hear. How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. That's an extreme example, isn't it? Think about a camel trying to go through an eye of a needle. Not even possible right? But Jesus was showing them through this incredible example, this extreme example, that God's favor, His grace is not for those who are wealthy or for those who are just law keepers, those who are are trying to do good things. Instead, God's grace, His favor is at work among those who actually see themselves as poor in spirit. I'm bankrupt, Lord. I have nothing to bring to you except my sin. Grace is for those who mourn over their sin, realizing their sinfulness, 
Grace is at work in those to lead them to this place. Grace is to help us to come to God in meekness. Lord, I have nothing to offer you. But you have given me life. You have given me all you have. And to come to him in hunger and thirst for righteousness. You see, God's grace is at work among us. That's why Jesus preached these Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. God's grace is at work. Now that the, the, the Son of Man has come, the one full of grace and truth. And then those who heard this being said, as Jesus said uh, these words about the rich man, not able to enter the kingdom of heaven uh, because it was very difficult. They said, who then can be saved? Who then can be saved? Who can be saved? And they said this once again because to them, the wealthy or the rich were those God had favor for. He had been blessing them, so they must be doing something right. And so Jesus answers this, who, who can be saved? With this verse. One of the best verses, I think, in all of the scriptures. What is impossible with man is possible with God. What Jesus wants us to see in these powerful and poignant words is that grace is not an infused thing. It's not inherent to us being human beings. It's not something we can even muster or earn. It's not possible with man to have favor with God. But it is based upon knowing Jesus Christ, knowing the one who is full of grace and truth. Jesus is telling these people in front of them. He's telling us, grace is right before your eyes. What is possible with God, this is, this, I'm here. I'm here to show you grace, to be your way to God. I am here for you. And it's interesting, Peter's response, see that we, we've left our homes and we followed you. Peter understood that following Jesus was the key to knowing and experiencing God's grace. And Jesus actually confirms that he was right in in his saying, Truly I say to you, there's no one who's left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Jesus is confirming that he is the instrument of grace. He is the access to God and his powerful grace. It's by following Him, putting Him first above all things, that is the answer. What is the reward of such grace given in Jesus Christ? Blessing upon blessing in this life. Spiritual blessing. We don't need to think of it as merely physical. It's a spiritual blessing is is given and heaped upon us. And then in the age to come, what do we obtain by following Christ? We obtain eternal life because we know Him who is life. Do we really believe in God's grace being the source of our salvation this morning? Do you really believe that Christ Jesus is the way that God has provided for us in our salvation? If you say, no, I need Jesus plus this, or you know what, I can just believe in Jesus and what he's done for me. You know, I I made that decision when I was four and I'm good to go. I'm covered. That's, these are two views that are opposed to the gospel of grace of Jesus Christ. If you came to Christ at four and you're not following Christ now, 
what you did it for might not have been valid. Following Christ now is a sign grace is at work. I want to share with you in closing. When I was a hospice chaplain, I entered the home of this dear couple, and he was troubled, very troubled. He said, Dieter, I have cancer, and I'm very angry because I have done good all of my life. I have been a good servant, and I don't understand why I have cancer. And as I prayed and sought God to give me the right words to say, I was, ugh, I was like, Lord, I need you now. Give me the words to say. The Lord led me to the Sermon on the Mount. And in particular, these commands that uh, Jesus brought up to this rich young ruler about adultery, about uh, bearing false witness, and so on and so forth. And as I went through each one of these, this man, his face just got more, more serious. He said, Dieter, I'm, I'm guilty of that. I'm, I'm guilty of that. And by the end, he said, Dieter, I am a sinner. I am lost. This is bad news. Do you have any good news? And I said, I do. We have some great news. And his name is Jesus. He came for sinners like you, John. Sinners like you and I. And you need to put your faith in him. Because he is the only one to show us grace and mercy. He's full of grace and mercy. I called a few days later to do a follow-up visit because he didn't pray a prayer that day with me, but I called a few days later and his wife answered the phone and she said, Dieter, did you not hear? And I said, hear what? She said, John passed away four days after you left. And he died with the biggest smile on his face. He had come to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and his Savior. She said, I did too. And I am so grateful for you sharing the gospel of grace with us. Because we needed to know the bad news in order to appreciate the good news. And see, that is the heart of the gospel, folks. We're more sinful than we ever could imagine. But we are more loved than we could believe. This is the message of grace. Are you living in grace when you think of your salvation? Grace in salvation, it's all a work of God. Grace in sanctification. What we are to do now as believers, we are to be disciplined by grace. We are to be shaped by grace. We are to make efforts to progress in our sanctification, to walk with the Lord, to become more and more holy. That is our call as well. So are you living in grace today, Christian? And those of you in here who haven't ever professed faith in Christ, are you going to go away sad today? Because... You couldn't have Jesus and whatever it is that's your idol. Oh, friends, I don't want you to walk away sad. I want you to walk away knowing Jesus Christ. Would you seek Him if you don't know Him? If you know Him, would you return to Him and confess and repent of whatever it is that you've put in His place? Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word this day. Thank You for working in us and through us by your grace. Thank you that honestly, Lord, you are the only one who is good. And your grace is a work only that you can do. And we just pray now that your grace would work powerfully in this congregation. 
Bring people to Jesus who didn't know you. Bring people back to you that maybe have been running from you. And bring us to a fresh commitment to live in grace, Lord. Those of us who know you and who are seeking your face, Lord, and struggling every day as, as we're in this world and it's difficult. It's a struggle. Oh, Lord, help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, God's people said, Amen.